visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. We're back and joined by another of our regulars, I'm pleased to say, here at Secure Freedom Radio, Bill Walton. He is the host of the Bill Walton Show, a terrific TV podcast. He is also a former master of the universe on Wall Street and now has a new project. He calls it the Resolute Protector Foundation a 501c3, of which he is the president. He is one of our duty experts on matters involving high finance and public policy, and uh, we appreciate his leadership in the conservative movement, notably with the Council for National Policy, of which I'm very pleased to be a member, and always appreciate the chance to visit with him. Bill, it's good to have you back. Thank you for joining us. Frank, thanks for thanks for having me back. Well, the program has really led up marvelously to this conversation with you, with Gordon Chang sort of giving us a geostrategic overview of what has operated that has resulted in hundreds of billions of dollars being lost in China uh, by American investors in recent weeks. And Chris Iacovella explaining about some of the mechanics of how this has happened to us and the fact that it is not an altogether new phenomenon. Um, we got into this mess with a number of steps that have been taken, notably going back to 2013, when then Vice President Joe Biden helped engineer a memorandum of understanding that essentially gave the Chinese preferential access to our markets. Uh, they didn't have to conform to our accounting rules and so on. I wanted to get your view, Bill, as a former Wall Street insider, of how the guys that you used to run with are likely to view all of this, uh, is it going to prompt them, do you think, to stop doing what they've done so much of in recent years, particularly since 2013, namely investing other people's money in non-transparent, non-accountable, and in some cases outright fraudulent Chinese companies controlled by the Chinese Communist Party? Well, the Wall Street's going to play by the rules that uh, are promulgated by the SEC. And you know, to back up a bit, you know, you mentioned 2013 in the Memorandum of Understanding. I mean, Wall Street has been given a playbook by the regulators and by Washington that they're supposed to do business with China, uh, regardless, because China was one of the preferred uh, preferred entities. And we did it all for, I think, I'd, for pretty good reasons. We we're trying to bring China into the into the global economy, the global liberal democratic community. And of course, we now know that was a that was a serious miscalculation and didn't recognize, rec recognize the fact that somebody like Chairman Xi would uh, emerge and, and uh, really begin cracking down on China, China's economy, Chinese people, and, and bringing it back into line, um, old school Chinese communist, communist Party style. So Wall Street is looking at this and uh, you know, the, the, there's a there's an index, the MSCI China index, that uh, shows what's happened with Chinese stocks in the last uh, 10, 15 years, and it's been on a tear um, since 2008 and peaked at an all-time high in uh, February of this year. And then, as Xi and the regulatory regime in China began cracking down on Chinese tech companies, education companies, you know, the long list of uh, companies they want to bring under tighter state control, uh, Wall Street's reacted by you know, driving the share price down of these uh, 
these uh, these companies and the indexes, and the indexes is off 20, 25%. And even Goldman Sachs are, are friends who have been probably the most important driver of what's going on in China for, on Wall Street. Um, even now, they're saying they're expecting another 20% correction uh, by the end of the year. And they're also having conversations with their clients, and their clients are beginning to say, uh, is China has China become uninvestable? And if you tie that back into Gordon Chang's theory, and Gordon obviously is the subject matter expert on this, I don't want to wander too far into his expertise, but if Gordon's right, and this VIA, VIE structure is being used to uh, unravel uh, uh, non-Chinese ability to invest in Chinese companies, then it, China does become uninvestable. And Wall Street's going to react in that way. Uh, the thing we have to keep in mind is the world equity market now, I don't know exactly where it is with stocks reaching new highs, is a 70, $75 trillion market. And while the U.S. is uh, probably 40% of that combination of New York Stock Exchange and and uh, NASDAQ, uh, you still have significant exchanges in, in Shanghai and, uh, and uh, Shenzhen and, and uh, Tokyo. And, you know, they've got uh, four or five trillion dollar market caps each in those. And so Xi, I think, is calculating as he engages in this crackdown that he may not need the U.S. capital markets to, uh, to finance Chinese businesses. And he clearly, he clearly has a uh, has a uh, an agenda here that's not economic. He wants he wants uh, he wants control. Now the the but they but but Wall Street does soft pedal this stuff. I mean they they still want to be friends with China. They still think it's going to become investable again. And you know in the uh, in the Goldman Sachs reports that are coming out now, <laughs> they're saying. Let me let me let me do this in the euphemistic way. They're saying it. Recent regulations have signaled that the Chinese authorities are prioritizing prioritizing social fairness and stability over the capital markets. I mean, well, that's certainly a euphemism. That, that, Big that time. World's up. <laughs> well, one one could call it misleading, <laughs> not just a euphemism. <laughs> It's about control. But, yeah, You're absolutely want, right. They want to. They want to. They want to stay viable. You know, they've got a lot of Chinese nationals working uh, for all these big Wall Street firms. It's not. They truly. They truly are global enterprises. They're not really American. Um, That's the how they think of themselves. Think That's of for sure. Yeah. Witness. Witness their seeming indifference to national security uh, implications of all of this. Let alone, you know, human rights values and and the likes. But let me bring you to the point that you were sort of touching on there a moment ago, um, whether Wall Street thinks China still is investable or not, um, their clients may well have reached the point where they say, you know, it isn't, and we don't want to be continuing to risk our net worth in uh, these kinds of schemes that can uh, result in vast losses completely capriciously. Um, as with you know, Didi and Alibaba and Ant Capital and so on. When you when you look at the the, the consumer, uh, let me just ask you, Bill. When you look at the consumer and their willingness to um, to accept these kinds of losses, uh, 
especially as I suspect a lot of them are surprised that they are even in China, let alone that they're at risk as they are. Um, because, you know, the investment managers have been putting their money through exchange traded funds and so on into Chinese. Only if they stop putting investment dollars into these entities. Uh, but I would have advised people not to go into Chinese stocks five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, you look at the structure, this VEI, VIE structure, clearly intended to circumvent the Chinese uh, intention, which is they don't want foreign investors. And you've got no voting rights. You've got a minority position. You have what they call a, a quote, economic interest, which means you participate uh, uh, in the upside so long as they let you. But there's been cases where I think there was a banking company that um, used this structure and they had some investors in it. And the, the banking company shares went up 60, 600 times from where they were. They made a fortune. And the Chinese Communist Party simply decided, well, you don't own that. And so they lost their entire investment because of the capricious uh, control of the, uh, the authorities in China. To, to, put, to put your real money into China as an American um, is, is nuts. It just makes no sense whatsoever. And Wall Street will stop providing these investment products if people wake up to the fact that they're going to, the risk of losing all their money um, is pretty high. Well, uh, let's that, hope, that, let's hope that message is being, yeah, let's hope that message is now being conveyed. One of the things that I'm I'm particularly concerned about, Bill, is uh, is that you know a lot of American investors don't don't know that their money is going into China and uh, into particularly these kinds of uh, really uh, problematic entities. And to say nothing of the fact that all of these Chinese companies are, as Chris Cavella pointed out, uh, controlled and effectively owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, one of the things that I'm very keen on, as you know, is um, a project of our friend Kevin Freeman called the National Security Investment Consultants Institute, uh, which is designed to train uh, financial managers into how best to invest their clients' money patriotically if that is, in fact, the value that uh, most investors seem to have. Um, and uh, and to counteract this uh, some somewhat surreptitious, I think it's fair to say, um, sluicing of their funds into into China, which is not consistent with their their values, and it turns out probably their their uh, equities as well. Bill, let, let me just ask you about one last thing. Uh, we we've talked off air about um, uh, an insight from our friend Victor David Hansen about getting clear what we're dealing with in China and how capable we are of meeting the threat that increasingly is emerging from that quarter, uh, both economic, of course, but also uh, of old-fashioned kinetic military kinds as well. Well, China, Victor David Hansen's, you know, one of our one of our best historians and thinkers and has moved from history into modern modern uh, life and, and trends and, and a penetrating analysis. And he wrote a piece recently um, entitled uh, China's Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere. Quite a, quite a, quite a mouthful. Uh, but nevertheless, it's extremely interesting because he, in this, he says China's not inevitable. If you look at their demographics because of the one child policy, 
It's an aging population. Um, its productivity compared to the United States is like one third if you measure our output per person versus what China does. Uh, China really has no allies in the world. They're surrounded by countries that are hostile to it, with maybe the exception of North Korea, but I'm not so sure North Korea matters in a larger scheme of things. And so they've got a lot of, and then it's also, as we're seeing, increasingly insular and unwilling to take um, innovation, um, either from markets or from, from people who are from countries that are outside China. So their, their insularity is a problem and what G's doing now will definitely, by cracking down on, on private sector companies, will definitely hurt its growth rate. Uh, they've got a huge overhang of debt. And he goes on to say, well, you know, that we really need to be clear that they're not inevitable. But then he concludes his last paragraph is a little, is also a little dis- disheartening because he says, uh, all, that re- all that's going to be required of us is a return to financial solvency, renewed national unity, appreciation of American singularity, um, and an end to politicization of the U.S. officer corps. Now, you and I have talked about these uh, these trends. I mean, return to financial stability. We're running, you know, we're spending, federal government spending $6 trillion a year. They're taking in $3 trillion a year in taxes. We've had a deficit the last couple of years of $3 trillion. Our debt as a percentage of GDP is now probably uh, 120%, 130%. And that's not including all the entitlements, which brings it up to, you know, Two, three hundred percent of GDP. Most people, including me, who know study economics, would call that stall speed. You have that that kind of debt overhang um, and budget deficit overhang. It, it's it's extremely debilitating. Uh, our military budget would be overwhelmed if interest rates went up uh, three, four hundred basis points. We and and that so, and that so, seems in prospect. Uh, needless to say, well, Bill, we don't have time to get into the other th- three uh, conditions that Victor has mentioned, but those don't seem terribly promising either. So it underscores the importance that we've attached in this program. And I think uh, in our work together with you and others uh, day in and day out, and that is we have got to come to grips with this China threat and to understand it for what it is and to deal effectively with it, um, or we are toast, I fear. And that uh, that's not a happy prospect. Bill, we have to leave one, it at one, that. One point to, to make, though, is if we shine a proper light on what China's doing, it might make us more serious about solving these other problems. Amen. And it's certainly what we're all about here. Bill, thank you for joining us. Come back to us again next week, if you would. I hope the rest of you will do the same tomorrow, same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Gaffney. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. In recent days, U.S. investors have lost over $400 billion in funds invested often without their knowledge in non-transparent, unaccountable, and ultimately unreliable companies tied to the Chinese Communist Party. This financial carnage prompted seven U.S. senators to write the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, raising serious concerns about such exposure and the fact that foreign shareholders have no claim against the PRC corporations in which they are supposedly invested. Instead, they typically hold paper issued by so-called variable interest entities based in the Cayman Islands and have no recourse if the Chinese government opts capriciously to sanction or regulate such firms. If Americans can't be persuaded to avoid investing in CCP-tied companies because they often pose threats to our national security and or human rights values, maybe the prospect of losing their shirts will do the trick. This is Frank Gaffney.
This is Frank Gaffney with a word about a truly great American patriot in urgent need. Rich Higgins served in the U.S. Army and as a key civilian Pentagon official and senior strategist on President Trump's National Security Council. After he left the NSC, Rich continued advising Mr. Trump and others about the threats we are facing from enemies, foreign and domestic. He chronicled his experiences over the past 20 years fighting for America First in a terrific memoir entitled The Memo. Now this courageous freedom fighter is gravely ill due to severe complications caused by the Chinese Communist Party virus. He urgently needs help to defray the enormous costs of successive surgeries and a prospective organ transplant. I urge you to join me in contributing to a GoFundMe campaign named Medical Help for Rich Higgins. That's Medical Help for Rich Higgins at GoFundMe.com. God bless you and Rich Higgins.